Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball, pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Back here on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, we are trying to decide on whose birthday will the season start. Scott, what's your, when's your birthday? March 31st. It won't be mine. It's, it started on my birthday before couple times probably sorry buddy not this year not this year so my birthday june 19th or chris's birthday july 4th closest without going over wins chris remember remember this contest okay important i'm keeping it in mind okay good are we doing like price is right style yeah close close without going over yeah yeah okay so you know anything before july 4th i i win unless it's before june 19th and then then Scott wins, actually. All right, good. So we have a lot on the line here. Ooh. Ah, Scott's Scott's kind of in the best spot. Yeah, I have like a two-week window. This is terrible. So today, Chris is taking a look at the best and worst picks according to average draft position. We're going to look at the first five rounds and see what Chris has to say there. There's really no news except Aaron Boone thinks that James Paxton, Aaron Judge, and John Carlos Stanton could be ready for opening day which must mean that opening day isn't happening until 2022 if he thinks Stanton's going to be ready. <laughs> uh, let's... Yeah, thank you. Let's talk about how to construct a team. Also, I'm going to ask you what you've been watching on TV or a streaming device to get to pass the time. We haven't really had that much downtime, though. I mean... I, I don't feel like I've had extra time. I think it's just because we have little kids, Adam. I think that's it. Like, it's not like we have this sudden... Uh... No. Uh, resurgence in free time. Well, the fact that there is no baseball headline, there are no baseball headlines does free up time. But this a little bit, yeah. particular week with all this football stuff going on has uh, been wild. In fact, this might be my final show of the week since I have to do a lot of football stuff. But maybe I'll be back on on Friday. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll play it by ear. Uh, all right. I want to do some fantasy combos. What do you like better in your first two rounds? Garrett Cole and Fernando Tatis or Walker Bueller and Francisco Lindor? Cole and Tatis or Bueller and Lindor? Uh, Bueller and Lindor. That feels like the the less risky pairing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to say that too, but it's it's a close call. Let's change it to a points league. Let's go Garrett Cole and Freddie Freeman or Walker Bueller in Francisco Lindor? Colin Freeman. Yeah, Colin Freeman. Who do you like better, Freeman or Lindor in a points league? In a points league, I like I have Freeman ranked ahead. But I mean it's 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 I don't I almost don't care that much. It's it really comes down to just the, the difference in the pitcher there in that pairing. Okay, cool. All right, next combo. Here we go. So I'm giving you Freeman in round two and Corbin in round three. So you tell me, would you rather go pitcher in, in round... Like we're going to give you four picks, right? And you have to decide what you want to do in rounds one through four. But I'm telling you, you're taking Freeman in round two and Corbin in round three. So which combo do you like better? DeGrom, Freeman, Corbin, Blackman. Or Bregman, Freeman, Corbin, Morton. 
So really it becomes DeGrom and Blackman or Bregman and Morton. Uh, DeGrom and Blackman. Hmm. Was that specifically for a points league? Dealer's choice. Or... I think a points <laughs> league actually swings it in the Bregman side's favor. Interesting. Uh, just because Bregman's so good in that format, but I don't know. It's I, I might prefer the Bregman side anyway. I'm gonna lean the Bregman. No, I think I like Degrom and Blackman over Morton and Bregman. Yeah, that's it's true that Blackman is one of the more undervalued players, under, more undervalued high end hitters. So I like these picks, man. I'd be pretty happy if my team had Degrom, Freeman, Corbin, and Blackman through four rounds. Of course, yeah, you you're, have you're presenting some some tough choices here, Adam. Well, that's what these I do. Difficult. That's what you do. Yep, that's the point. Chris, did you give an answer? You said Degrom and Blackman, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one. Would you rather have Xander Bogarts and you Darvish? Or Bo Bichette and Clayton Kershaw. You get, you know, according to ADP, you get a pitcher upgrade with Kershaw over Darvish, but you get a shortstop downgrade, Bichette from Bogart. So it's Bogarts and Darvish or Bichette and Kershaw? I think I would <laughs> Kershaw and Bichette. All right, this definitely makes a difference format for me. It definitely does. I want the K ceiling in Roto, and I want... Uh, I want Bogarts more in points. But, but Bogarts and Darvish are together, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Bichette yeah, and yeah. Kershaw, Sorry, Darvish and and Bogarts. That's I'm comfortable that Kershaw is going to be a lot more helpful. Yeah, I'm going to stick with a lot more helpful in the ratio stats in uh, Rota, and probably in wins as well. Uh. And Bichette has that stolen base upside that could, I mean, it's entirely possible we're talking about him as a second rounder next year. We're talking about it, Bogarts as a second rounder this year. This is yeah, not even a question to me. But. You don't love Xander Bogarts. I know. He's kind of a coward second rounder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love Kershaw either. Though. I know. This is such an easy call for me. I'm going with, I'm going with Darvish and Bogarts. It is so... Yeah. It's just so much easier for me to see Darvish being better than Kershaw than it is for me to see Bichette being better than Bogarts. I think you're taking a little bit of a leap with Bichette. Yeah, but I mean, it, yeah, it's, a leap it's, with it's with Dar- you know yeah. what? You know what I'm going to do? You just to decide it. Kershaw is less likely to have that maintenance IL stint. In a shortened season. So I'm going to take the Kershaw-Bichette side. Good for you, Scott. Way to come around. Chris, shame on you. For he came around. You, Chris was very decisive throughout was, this whole thing. I was, the, I was the one who had Bichette and Kershaw at the beginning. Yeah, yeah no. That's the one who had to be talked into it. Wait, Scott, you took Bichette and Kershaw? I did. That's what I said. Were you not listening? You just said... You just said... Wait, who's more likely to go on the IL? Kershaw or Darvish? I'm saying Kershaw's less oh, likely because to need the... a maintenance IL stint oh. in a shortened season. So I'm oh. not sure Kershaw's less likely or more likely to go on the IL oh, than you guys, Darvish at this point. You guys both suck. 
<laughs> That's what I've determined. All right, fine. Darvish, or uh, Kershaw. Kershaw and Bichette, it is. Over, what's the, what, give me the over-under for steals for Bichette. Where would you set it? Oh, I actually did this in my shortstop, uh, shortstop strategies piece. I think I said... When the majors and minors, 19? Uh, I'm not sure how many he had last year. He had like 30-something two years ago. I'm going to say I'm gonna say 10 to 15, so I'll set the over-under at 12. Oh, that's nothing. That, that, then why would you... No, then that's just a bigger case for Bogarts. That's not nothing. It's not that much. It's not enough. He stole 20 between the majors and the minors last year. Um, 32 the year before. 22 in 110 games the year before. And he only played 106 games last season. So those 20 steals were in 106 games. So I, I would say the upside is 25. Okay, I think Scott needs to raise that over-under. I'm taking the over on 12 and a half. He didn't steal that many in the majors, though, Adam. And you know how, how poorly stolen base totals translate from the minors to the majors. I'm, yeah, hope, I'm hopeful, but I, I, I'm not counting on more than a dozen. I mean, a dozen is a legitimate contribution. A dozen means you're probably getting more than you paid for with them. So really, I would be pretty pleased with that. I think people that are drafting Bo Bichette are expecting more than 12 steals. He attempted eight in 46 games. So and he was caught on four of them, right? But that caught stealing fluctuates drastically from year to year. It's not a predictive stat. Okay. Uh, he was a lot better than that in the minors. I think he was over 75% in the minors. Uh, well, it was, the- so he's on pace for about 12 then right a little more between 12 and 16 right but he was on pace for nearly 30 attempts yeah well okay if he steals more great i'm not going to complain about that but i i wouldn't i wouldn't hope for more than 12 uh, all right i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the over on i'm hoping i'm hoping for more than 12. To a little bigger darling <laughs> <laughs> so uh that will uh conclude our bobachette discussion here uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm very disappointed in Chris and Scott, but I'm not disappointed in my Indochino suit. Haven't talked to you about Indochino in a long time, so let me let me get this out there. You need a quality suit. It's important. You gotta look good. You might have a wedding to go to, a job to go to, a job interview to go to. Whatever the occasion is, you want to look good. You want to impress people. You want people to say, "Hey, man, nice suit." Well, that's where we uh that's where Indochino comes in, okay? With Indochino, it's all about you. You get to choose from hundreds of high-quality suit fabrics to pick the color, the pattern, and the weight you like best. You choose all the personal touches, your lining, lapel, the monogram. The customis- customizations are all your choice and there are no extra costs. That's why I love my suit because it's mine. It just it feels like mine. Nobody has a suit quite like it. It fits me absolutely perfectly. I got a little fun little uh, inscription on the uh, inside on the jacket lining. Uh, it's just ex- it's exciting to put on, and I know it fits me better and looks better than all of my other suits. And it's made to your exact measurements, so you end up with a perfect fit for the shape of your body. They also have custom shirts and coats and chinos, so you can get a full custom wardrobe at Indochino.com or. You can go to any of their showrooms across North America or one of their style guides can take your measurements and walk you through the process or again at home at Indochino.com. Any purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com, you're getting 30 bucks off. Go there and enter FBT at checkout. Indochino.com, enter FBT at checkout for 30 bucks off any purchase of $3.99 or more. 
And three ninety nine for a custom suit is one hell of a deal. I know people that are paying over a thousand dollars for their suits. Don't do that. Go to Indochino.com, use the promo code FBT, get thirty bucks off your total purchase of three ninety nine or more high quality custom suits for an off the rack price. Promo codes FBT at Indochino.com. Okay, uh, what are you watching on TV or on a streaming service right now? This is what everybody wants to know. Nothing. Nobody's watching anything. Uh, my microphone was muted. Excuse me. Uh, the Great British Baking Show. It's on Netflix. It is the most delightful way to spend your time. It is just like, you know how like all American cooking shows are like, we're going to kill this person if they don't make a flambe correctly <laughs> it's not like that at all everyone's just lovely they they drop a tent into like a meadow in the middle of like the british countryside oh. and there are like goats and sheep bleeding bleeding with a team Ble- oh they're wow that sounds great chris thought, are they cooking they them? them yeah right their pies and they're just making these like frankly often somewhat disgusting looking British desserts. <laughs> but they're just like, it's just like everyone's so lovely. Everyone's so nice to each other. They like help each other finish their, their bakes. Uh, the hosts are just delightful and they make lots of uh, sexual innuendo oh. about the bakes. Is it, is it a contest or does everybody say hey, you can win? You can win. I'm fine. It's, it's a contest. Um, but it's not like, you know, your cooking wasn't perfect. You're dead to me. Get out of here. Mm. No mean judges. No, I, I mean, feel like mean judges are the only things I enjoy about cooking competition, though. Hollywood is a little bit mean. Uh, but Mary Berry is delightful. <laughs> she, loves, she loves any dessert that has alcohol in it. Her uh, name's Mary Berry. How Mary- could she not be delightful? Paul Hollywood. And then there's, of course, Mel and Sue, the hosts. I cannot recommend this showing up, especially at a time like this when you're probably feeling a little anxious. It's just, it's so lovely. Everyone is lovely. Mel and Soup was her name? Mel and Soup? Mel and Sue. Ah, uh, okay. Two of them. Scott, what are you watching on TV or a streaming service right now? <laughs> I am still plotting through homeland and it has begun to feel kind of plotting i must admit <laughs> what season? i'm gonna see it through because that's what i do but it's uh 2012 what welcome to 2012 <laughs> yeah well whatever I, I usually don't watch shows in real time yeah um yeah i just got through season five and it was it was uh it was it was it, it kind of hit a lull there the yeah. the first three seasons were pretty great. The fourth season, still still pretty good. But fifth kind of hit a lull. We'll see how six and seven and eight goes. I know Heath still loves it. He's he's the worst. I it just he he's so he's so stubborn. He refuses to accept any criticism about Homeland. And obviously, the Ellen Adair episodes on Homeland are the best ones. I'm sure we can all agree. Yeah, I haven't gotten to her yet. That's that's. That's, I got to keep going. <laughs> got to no, keep forging ahead. I uh, yeah, I I, th- I think it was season four. I sort of didn't love. Uh, well, I, there was there was a big, tr- uh, like uh, shift in in story after season three. It like right. 
It's one of those shows that really, I think, goes too far in reinventing itself every season. So you're kind of taken out of it at first and you kind of have to it kind of has to win you back in all over again. I get annoyed when shows love, do that. Like Scott's doesn't have you don't have to change it that it, completely. I love your movie criticism, your movie and TV critiques. It's just you just you things you notice things or you're bothered by things that nobody else is. <laughs> it's very interesting. Uh, I would like to say that I'm a huge Narcos fan. The first three seasons in Colombia are as good as it gets. Absolutely. Especially season two. That was my personal favorite. Everybody seems to have their own personal favorite, but loved those three seasons. The first season of Narcos, Narcos Mexico was kind of crap. Uh, if I hadn't been attached to the first three seasons, I wouldn't have bothered with Narcos Mexico. But season two of Narcos, Narcos Mexico is very good so far. So that's encouraging. And my wife's been watching Good Girls, which is really good. Girls. So I, uh, there you go. Uh, we just finished a rewatch of something. I can't remember what it was. I guess it didn't stick with me. I guess it was probably some... Very excited for the digital release this week of Cats. You got okay. No, you're not. Well, let's t- let's talk. going to ironically watch Cats. Might make some drinks while doing it. Yeah, please. I, I don't. I don't have uh, ironically watching things. <laughs> how the other half? How the other uh, half lives? Right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk baseball here. Cats is the conversation killer. So let's have a rankings dispute. Chris wanted to do the whole Yoan Moncada thing again. Okay. So I said, tell me who you like Yoan Moncada better than uh, in Scott's rank. Like, who would you rank ahead of in based on Scott's rankings that Scott has? Moncada behind, and you said you like Moncada better than Manny Machado. And Scott, and I can't imagine I'm going to get much pushback from Scott on this one. Yep, joke's on you. I moved Yon Moncada ahead of Manny Machado <laughs> last night. <laughs> Segment's done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. <laughs> with a lovely episode with Joanne, with Melon Soup or whatever. Uh, okay, so Scott, you moved... Moncada ahead of Machado, but are you sure? In both formats? In, in, no, not in both. Not in both. Just in Roto because of the he he's good in two scarce categories, and and I'm I'm only confident Machado excels in the one now. In points, I left Machado ahead because of the strikeout difference between the two. All right, Chris. So how about this? Do you like DJ LeMahieu or Yoan Moncada? I don't think I've drafted any DJ LeMahieu this year. I have drafted Yon Moncada, so I would say I would rather have Yon Moncada. Bam. Well, Scott has LeMahieu four spots ahead in Roto and probably even more than that in points. Now, of course, LeMahieu's second base eligible, but just looking at his third base rankings, uh, Scott does like LeMahieu better than uh, Moncada. So, Chris, tell Scott in a very lovely, polite, British way why he is wrong. I'm absolutely chapped that you would ask that. I think that's a thing they say. Uh, I don't know if this one's so much wrong. It's just, I don't know. It's weird because Scott is, is the by the breakout guy. Uh, but he's been more skeptical of Yohan Moncada relative to other breakouts. And, you know, in, in, in this case, like DJ LeMahieu is someone who does have a more established track record. Drink. (laughs) 
that is DJ Mayhew definitely does have a more established track record. Um, but he never did what he did last year. He hit for power in a way that he never had. He hit the ball harder than he ever had. Um, and you know, it, it's possible that those improvements stick and hitting in, in Yankee Stadium, it's a good place to hit. It's not course field, even for DJ LeMayhew's all fields approach, which does play well at Yankee Stadium. So I would think we're probably going to see a regression of power. Uh, DJ LeMayhew's going to be a great source of batting average for sure, but that is probably Excel. Where <laughs> Wait oh. a second. Did I just go in and out? I think my cat yeah. used my microphone. <laughs> I, I Chris cuts out, and I look over, and there is just a gigantic, like, furry butt in my face, basically. And it was his cat stepping on his computer, apparently. And Youngest cat. She hears me talking. Like, when I'm in meetings at home, when I'm doing the podcast, she just hears me talking. and she And she is not the affectionate cat. She's the cat who, like... If you move too quickly, she runs away from you. But when I'm doing meetings, when I'm doing podcasts, that's when she's like, okay, I want you to love me right now. (laughs) She forces me to pet her. You might have heard her on the podcast uh, last week when I was hosting. And uh, yeah, she just decided to walk on my computer. And we're all obviously working from home. So not that that's a big adjustment for, for me and Scott, but Chris is not typically home this frequently. So yeah, bear with us when our cats walk on our computers. All right, anyway, you were saying? Uh, so DJ LeMahieu, um, I don't buy the power breakout being real. I think he's probably more of like, even in the Yankee Stadium, probably more of a 15 to 20 homer guy. Uh, he's not really a stolen base standout anymore. So I really think he's going to be someone who is just a batting average guy. And while I think he will be better than than Yohan Moncada, Yohan Moncada's quality of contact is so good and really always has been um, that once he cut the strikeout rate a little bit last year and became a more aggressive hitter, it just really opened up his game. And so you look at, well, he hit, you know, he had a 27.5% strikeout rate. He's not going to hit 315 again. This is one situation, and I think we're seeing something similar with Tim Anderson, where the fantasy community is probably regressing too hard because he did have an expected batting average of 291. He does have a career BABIP of like 370 or something wild. It's one of the highest of all time. He's super athletic. He hits the ball really hard. And Wait, so you, you, you think Yo know, Moncada is not undervalued just by me, but by the community at large. Yes. I, I, That's interesting. Um, and I think, you know, I brought up Tim Anderson. I think Tim Anderson is more undervalued by the community at large. But in this case, I think there's an expectation that Yon Moncada might go back to being a total batting average liability. But, you know, his expected batting average last year was 291. He's quite athletic. He hits the ball hard. He hits the ball, you know, at, at the ideal launch angle quite frequently. His, uh, you know, expected Wobon contact has always been pretty good. Last year it was elite. Um, I just I buy the skill set, I buy the pedigree, and I buy the improvements that he made. And I even buy, um, you know, he's talked about wanting to run more this season. He's kind of the, you know, I, I, when I was doing some research about Luis Robert, um, they Rick Renteria is that their manager still? Yes, yeah. I always not great with managers. Um, 
he said, you know, it's not like we're going to run a ton more, but though, but him and, and Tim Anderson have, you know, the freedom to run when they want to. And so, you know, Moncada's dealt with a lot of hamstring injuries and he can stay healthy. Uh, I think there's still the potential for him to be a 20 to 25 steel guy. I think the upside for Yohan Moncada looks a lot like what Trevor Story has done the last two seasons. Uh, Scott, you can your rebuttal, please, supporting LeMahieu over Moncada. Well, Moncada overachieved last year, statistically. He underperformed his expected, uh, he outperformed his expected stats. Uh, if he is the exact same player next year, he's probably going to be worse. And he already was much worse than DJ LeMahieu last year. So that's, that's where I am with that. Now, I, Moncada, 24 I years old, it's the ball hard, top prospect pedigree. It's going to get better. Upside is definitely there. It's just a question of when. I, I feel like for him to live up to last year's stats, for him to live up to his draft position, in my mind, he it, it requires another step forward from him, particularly, uh, I, I guess, power is the main area where he he clearly has room to gain something still. But I also think there's just as good of a chance he takes a step back. I mean, it's it's... He's still walking a tightrope with that strikeout rate. It got a lot better. It was still bad. It could go back to being bad, uh, even worse than bad, I mean. And then where is he? Uh, so I, I think DJ LeMahieu technically has less upside than Moncada. He has more realized upside, and he has a much higher floor, especially as the leadoff hitter for the New York Yankees. I just, I don't know if I agree that, I mean, you, you have the per game stats, so you, you can correct me if, if I'm uh, talking out of school here, but I don't think the difference between the two of them was that great on a per game basis last year. You know, it, it's worth saying that Yon Mankata had almost 150 fewer plate appearances than uh, DJ LeMahieu did. Well, that's a big deal because batting leadoff for the Yankees is going to get LeMahieu a lot of plate appearances. Now, I mean, batting toward the top of the order for the White Sox is also going to help for for Moncada. I, to me, this is a really clear points versus Roto discussion. The I know the strikeout rate went down, but the walk rate's also gone down two straight years for Moncada. He doesn't walk, and his plate discipline is so is so bad that I'm taking LeMahieu in points leagues. I'm taking Mokata and Roto Leagues. We are just doing this 14-team uh, draft you know, that I always reference, but I just made a pick a couple hours ago. It was hard for me to pass up Mokata in like round eight of a 14-team league. I mean, we're, we're getting pretty deep, but I already had a third baseman, but I really wanted Mokata. But I was okay passing him up because it's a points league. He's got kind of yeah. a limited ceiling in a points league. LeMahieu was made for points leagues. So I, Le, I think it's LeMahieu was a monster in points leagues last year. It definitely wasn't close in that format. It probably was. See, what 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 really makes the difference, and I know there was a games issue there, Moncada playing only 132, but runs in RBI just didn't compare to LeMahieu. LeMahieu's not going to have that many RBI next year. Yeah, he, he hit so well I, with runners in scoring position and and... But then again, Moncada had a 400 score 125 habit. runs, you know. <laughs> he could. So he averaged 3.7 points per game 
Moncada averaged 3.2. That's a that's a really big difference. LeMahieu was fifth among third base eligible players behind Rendon, Bregman, Devers, and Arenado. Moncada was, I believe, 14th among uh, third base eligible players. And I know that's this isn't the exercise. We were just arguing about their merits among third basemen, but LeMahieu is eligible at second base. And yeah, Moncada yeah, yeah. isn't. That's not insignificant. He's eligible at first base, too, which could... I know a couple of my teams, I actually have him at first base. LeMahieu, I didn't intend to, but that's just how it turned out. Yeah, it, it is important. I just didn't really want to bring that into this discussion, but that is that is important for sure. And I, I do want to just say one more thing about Moncada. You know, you said his strikeout rate could go the opposite direction. The one thing that I will say in his defense in that regard is that it wasn't really, you know, we talk a lot about how stolen bases are about intent as much as talent strikeouts to a certain degree can be as well. And in Mokata's case, and I would say it's similar, I've made the comparison to Kevin Biggio in his rookie season. I think the high strikeout rate uh, in both cases was at least partially a result of just a passivity. He didn't actually make a ton more contact. His contact rate on out of si- outside of the strike zone pitches went up a little bit. His contact rate on strike zone uh Pitches inside of the strike zone went up a little bit. Both were uh, better than 2018, but he just swung a lot more. And he's the kind of guy who, you know, he hits the ball so hard. He's so athletic. He's such a good baseball player. He's got all these tools uh, that deciding to be more aggressive at the plate paid huge dividends for him because it allowed him to put those really elite, truly elite tools into play. And so... That's one reason why I'm not too worried about his strikeout rate going in the opposite direction. But that doesn't change the fact that he doesn't walk. Sure. I mean, well, he did, but now like it went from 12.6% to 10.3% to 7.2%. And his walk rate was partially a function of that passivity. Yeah. And mm-hmm. but you're also making him sound like he's, you know, uh Alberto Mondesi. Yeah, that's the guy I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not 7% that. is getting pretty low, though. Right, it's not it's, that bad, but it's, it's getting pretty low. It's a little bit below average. Yeah. All right, guys. Let the, Well, see, the, okay, you say it's a little bit below average. You mean league average? Yes. So, right, and then I'm going to say anything that's a little bit below e- league average is worse than that in fantasy baseball because we're eliminating bad hitters. I'm assuming, anyway. I, I, I don't know about walk rate, but if you were a little bit below average in home runs for league average, you'd be well below, you'd be well below average in fantasy baseball because we don't deal with crappy hitters who don't hit any home runs, you know? Walks, walks more than your King DJ LeMahieu. Oh, snap. That's interesting, but obviously strikes out more too. He strikes out a lot more. Yeah. Like twice as often. All right, here we go. Uh, to the best and worst picks according to average draft position rounds one through five. Chris Towers, best and worst picks of round one. Yeah, so I think the best pick in round one, and this is going off Fantasy Pro's ADP, so this is, I'm, I'm basing this on a Roto League, and I think the best pick you can make in round one, certainly the best value in round one, is Trey Turner at number 11 overall. If he falls to you at that point, given the scarcity of steals, given the fact that he is, you know, a legitimate four-category contributor, maybe a five-category contributor, depending on if he hits... Or he'd probably be a four-category contributor either way if he hits first or third. But um, you get him an 11th 
you know, the guy who might lead the national league in stolen bases, the guy who has been in the conversation for major league leader and steals every season of his career, basically. Wait a second. Trey Turner or Trevor story? Trey Turner. Did he say Trevor? Oh, you said, Oh, he said Trey Turner. Okay. You know why? You know why my alarm bells went off? Cause story's going ahead of Trey Turner. Yeah. And yeah, they they but they're going back to back. So either one I think would work there. But you're saying Trey Turner. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think it Trey Trey Turner going behind Trevor Story. Like I don't think Trevor Story is a bad pick at number ten, but I would rather have Trey Turner. Uh just because he has more potential to help you in the scarcer category. You can make up for power later on in a way that you can't really do that with stolen bases. So that's why I think Trey Turner going eleventh overall is the best value in the first round. Okay, and what's the worst? I think it's probably Nolan Arenado. Um, you know, going ninth overall, and it, like, it's not a knock against Nolan Arenado. He's awesome. Uh, I just don't think there's that much of a difference between him and Freddie Freeman, who's going 16th overall and who we'll talk about when we get to the second round. I just think it's sort of just falling back on a guy that we know but not taking into account the fact that in this era of baseball, what Trevor Story and Trey Turner and you know even Jose Ramirez can do probably make them more uh, valuable or at least scarcer than Nolan Arenado. Scarcer, yes. I suppose if you draft Nolan Arenado, you just have to commit yourself to taking a steel specialist at some point because it's not just that Arenado isn't a steals guy. It's that he's a terrible steals guy. He's a zero. Yeah, maybe zero to three steals a year, basically. But he's been a top twelve. He's been a top twelve hitter in points leagues and a top ten hitter in roto leagues five straight seasons. So I, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to be disappointed with any of these picks in round one. I don't have a problem with Arenado, but I would take Story and Turner ahead of Arenado in roto, not in points. And I'm, I'm sure Scott agrees, right? I think you can make an argument that Juan Soto might be. The worst value in the first round, too. Uh, he's yeah. going overall. Yeah, I was going to mention him. He's the only guy in the first round who has to get better to justify yeah. that cost. For me, it, you know, it might be Lindor, honestly, because he hits his batting average. He, okay, as a hitter, comparing Lindor to the rest of the first round hitters, I think Turner is the only one who has a lower OPS who or who had it last year. Uh I think Lindor is slightly overrated. He's great at runs, but RBIs and batting average, he's not going to measure up with uh, the other first-round hitters for the most part. That's fair. Scott, any thoughts? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I totally agree. Like, I, I feel like Lindor, we haven't seen his best-case scenario yet. I feel like his... Batting average, um, maybe it could have gone better the past couple years, and that he's probably closer in that area to Trevor Story than you're giving him credit for. I, I feel like they're almost from from the five by five context, they're almost identical in expected output, but Story Story feels not quite as safe as me, just as as Lindor. Be, not quite as safe to me, I think is what I was trying to say. And, um, you know, just because of the strikeout rate, such a big difference there. Okay, Lindor, just to add one thing, though, he had a 335 OBP last year. 
So if you're turning batting average into OBP, I then I think you got a you've got a little you have to reevaluate Lindor. IMO, in my opinion. So look, it's round one. All those picks are great. We're nitpicking, obviously. Chris, round two. I think my favorite pick in round two is probably Freddie Freeman, who we talked about before. I just think there's a pretty good chance he ends the season as a top five hitter. Uh, you know, the elbow concerns, the fact that that was still an issue even after offseason surgery was a little concerning, but it seemed like he got over that. And I just think you're looking at one of the best bets for batting average in the league. Uh, probably going to hit 35 home runs if he stays healthy, a ton of runs in RBI. And he is, unlike Nolan Arado, he has been a non-zero in stolen bases. You know, I think it was six last year or five, ten the year before. That's not huge, but that that helps. And, uh, you know, he is more athletic than a lot of the guys who put up similar hitting stats. It's not out of the question to me that he's better as a hitter than Nolan Arenado this year and steals eight bases. Freddie Freeman we're talking about here. Who's the worst pick? I think it's got to be Fernando Tatis. It's it's just there's a chance we're talking about him as a first-round pick next year. I think there's an equally good chance we're looking at him more in like the fourth round next year. I, I just think his is an incredibly volatile risk, uh, a volatile profile, a lot of swing and miss. Uh, the underlying numbers didn't quite back up what he did. Uh, they said he was more like a 260, 270 hitter, I believe. And so... Mm-hmm. If that batting average does come back down, the one thing he does have going for him, I think the power is legit. Um, you know, he did have a very high barrel rate. He is very athletic. Uh, so I think he can be a, a valuable but, power steel speed combination. But, guy. but even that, the ground ball rate was really high. He had yeah. a lot of balls on the ground, more than you'd expect for somebody with his power. So it, even that's not entirely worry free. Yeah, I think the thing with him is pretty common for a young player he's just i think there was some inconsistency in his profile he would hit the ball really really hard sometimes he would hit the ball at an ideal launch angle sometimes and then other times he would you know hit weak grounders and there there's just i think there's room for the skill set to grow but i think the skill set has to improve for him to justify this cost you know he was the second best player on a per game basis in roto leagues last year. So by that measure, he's a steal, right? So this is Fernando Tatis. He hit 317 with 22 homers and 16 steals in 84 games. He had a 410 Babbitt and Tatis had a 31.9 home run to fly ball rate. Both of those are ridiculous. He strikes out a lot. 29.6% K rate. Scott, do you agree? Because I do not I do not agree. I do not think that he is the worst pick of this round. I think Steven Strasburg is the worst pick of round two. It's fair. Scott, do you think Tatis is the worst pick of round two? I think he is. Uh, it's understandable given the demand for steals in this format, but I, I think it's it's the pick I'm least likely to make at this price, especially since the two players going after him, I think, have a case of being the best pick of the round, Jose Ramirez, who, if you want the steals, just go for him. I mean, he's, he seems even more likely of being a top five overall player next year, considering he just was in 2018. Um, and then Anthony Rendon, 
is the one going right after that. So I I love the value of most of the players in round in this round two range here. I feel like I feel like round two is mostly first round types who just got pushed out because there's so many first round types. And uh, I mean, Alex Bregman, the fact he goes in round two, that's insane to me because that's he might be the third best with the bat. Like if, if we're taking steals out of the equation, if we're taking the way they're inflated in this format out of the equation, he might be the third best player uh, in, in fantasy. And then behind Trout and Yelich, if that wasn't clear. And even that, it, even if we're leaving steals in, I don't think he's necessarily nothing well, as far be, as steals though. go. Yeah. I think double digits, there's a very good chance he gives you double digit steals. You know who may not be far off from Bregman? Who's going even later if we're just kind of eschewing steals? JD Martinez. You know, he had a down season last year and a down season for JD Martinez. He still hit what? 304, 36 homers, 105 RBI. And that was with a weird uh, sort of power drought early on in the season when the underlying numbers were still excellent. And uh, I think he had an OPS above. Yeah, he had 965 OPS, 18 homers in the last 67 games. So that's close to, if not a little bit over a 40 homer pace with, you know, huge batting average. J.D. Martinez was the number 10 outfielder, number 22 hitter in fantasy. And that's kind of crazy when you look at his numbers. 304, 36 homers, 105 RBIs, 98 runs, only two steals. A lot of good hitters there. I don't see any justification for taking Tatis over Jose Ramirez. I think it's just... And they're going back to back. But I think Scott laid it out. It's a clear choice. When you start to get to Rendon, though, you look at last year. Rendon is the first year with more than 26 home runs. So yeah. if if he goes back to being the player he was before 2019, Rendon, he's not a second-round pick in a Roto League. He is in a points league, maybe even um, a first-round pick. I'm not sure I agree. For a, a surefire 300 batting average, a ton of runs scored, and, and presumably RBI, too, with where he's going to hit in that lineup. Um. He's yeah, he's you'll take 25 homers. You'll take 25 home runs and five steals, 25 home runs and five steals to me. Don't forget about the other categories, Adam. Don't don't forget about the other categories. Batting average early. Yeah, but I mean, well, let's see what he was in 2017. I don't have what he was as a hitter. He He missed time. Which is something to yeah, also he always misses too. time. He's had some health issues. He, he wasn't even a top five third baseman in 2018. Uh, well, granted, he it was some a time, Adam. sick position. Come on. Okay, but he, he had 24 home runs in 136 games, and he stole yeah. two bases. I mean, you just, don't get points for doubles in Roto. He, he's a doubles machine. So I just, you know, I, I think that I don't think he's a second round pick if he's if he's the old Anthony Rendon. But I haven't been taking him in the second round. One of the things about Rendon, though, is. It's an unbelievably high floor. He's great. Like, I love him. There are not many players. Like, you're not going to miss. I would rather have him than Fernando Tatis in the second round because you're really? not going to miss on uh, Anthony Rendon. There's just, unless he gets hurt and he's no bigger an injury risk than Fernando Tatis, That's you're, there's no way he's going to be a bad value. And I think there's a pretty decent chance. Like, t- Tatis the stolen basis should make him valuable no matter what. But there's his profile worries me. It should. 
But he's 21. Rendon's 30. Or it will be in June. So, yeah, he's, he's 30. 30's not always great. Okay, now apparently I'm the down guy on Anthony Rendon. Don't like doing that. <laughs> I want only do one more round, Chris, so we can read some emails. Best and worst picks of round three according to average draft position. This is honestly might be my least favorite round. Uh, I really don't love drafting in this round. There's a lot of guys who I tend to avoid. I don't want Pete Alonzo that much. Glaber Torres in a roto at this price I don't love. Um, I think the worst pick, and I think Scott's probably going to agree, is probably Javi Baez at 33. Um, he's just... He's really good, obviously. But like he's not a standout in stolen bases anymore, and I don't think that's coming back. He's not really a standout in power, which is weird given the expectations for him. Uh, the RBI pace from 2018 is not coming back. He's just, he's like a B plus everywhere. And that's a really good player. I just don't know if I love drafting him at 33rd, given some of the guys going behind him. It's a bad round. <laughs> it's, remember, we had an email about this, how sucky round three is. Yeah, and it sort of makes sense, right? You're, you're, Scott mentioned uh, there were a lot of first-round caliber hitters still available in the second round, and a lot of first-round caliber players in the second round. And then the, the third round is kind of no-man's land. Um, it's a lot of guys who are coming off one great season but don't have the track record, or some older guys who kind of run the risk of torpedoing your season if they take that uh step back so it's it's just sort of no man's land for drafts this year i don't really mind bias though because i think b pluses across the board yeah ends up being an a player or an a minus player and he's done it two years in a row i i think glaber is probably my least favorite pick but i also really don't like starling Marte in round three Marte just it's just those stolen bases, you know, but it he is coming off his best year as a hitter, uh changing lineups, changing parks. It's not necessarily a park downgrade, but it's probably not a huge upgrade. It is a better lineup, but I think a lot of it comes down to how much he's gonna be allowed to run. Uh is he will he be a thirty steal guy and really stand out there? I don't know. It seemed remember I did that, I looked into that and it seemed like it seemed like Terry, Le- Tori Le- Terry Lavello does not like to run that much. Uh, so it wasn't clear cut. But Gerard Dyson was one of the examples I used. Gerard Dyson averaged 38 steals per 162 games in two seasons with Arizona. In his previous six seasons, he averaged 49 steals per 162 games. So that's so, 11 more steals in a lot fewer plate appearances, too. Right, but that's the thing. He that that steals a lot of your plate appearances with the Diamondbacks, you mean? No, he had more plate appearances with the Diamondbacks. That's what, so, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that he started more games. So he. So what? I, I don't understand. Just because he came in as a pinch runner, you expect him to be more of a base dealer there? Well, no, it's just he only had one plate appearance per game or one stolen base opportunity per okay, game. Okay, so if you just did it on per plate appearance, he had 38 steals per 567 plate appearances with Arizona. Mm-hmm. In the six seasons prior, he had 49 steals 
per 477 plate appearances. Nine more steals in 90 fewer plate appearances in the six seasons before the two he spent with Arizona. Right, but that that's, again, because he had... He's not necessarily someone whose stolen base opportunities are increased all that much by playing every day because he's just not a good hitter. Oh, well, whatever. It seems like he ran less. Paul Goldschmidt ran a lot less. A.J. Pollock ran a lot less. You could say there were reasons for that in yeah. their careers. But I think it's inconclusive. I do too, but the thing is with, with Marte, it's like he's he's not such a base dealer that he should be going in with a 30th pick in the draft. And that's what it's not like he steals 50. It's like he steals 40 bases. He was a top 10 pick in one of the TGFBI leagues. I just don't get that. And I don't, I don't buy the production from last year either. You know, you know, and 23 home runs. Yeah. That was a great year for him. That's, that's a crap year. Now there's only 132 games, but he's also always hurt. You're not going to see me having much starlighting Marte. I think I, I haven't. I don't think I've drafted him at all this year. There, there are other stolen base guys that I'd rather have. I agree with you. Glaber Torres and and Pete Alonso are the two other guys in this round who I just I don't find myself targeting in this range much. Um, who do I think you the, target? The league I Torres in is the the auction league that we did, and it was because he went like for fifteen dollars or something ridiculous. Who do you target in this, in round three? Who's the best pick? By the way, uh, Scott, I don't know if I mentioned this. Scott had a pop-off, I think, so we're Scottless for the moment. Patrick Corbin is probably... Patrick Corbin and Jose Altuve are probably my two most drafted players. I'm just not too concerned about the the sign-stealing in general, and especially with Altuve. You know, the evidence that we do have on that suggests that Altuve didn't really uh, receive too much benefit from it. Some... BS. say that it was because he had a, a buzzer or something. No, it's what? BS. Give me a break. Everybody benefited from it. Just use common sense. Everybody benefited. If you knew the signs were coming, you benefited from it. But that, no, but that's the thing is that he got fewer bangs than any other player. <laughs> okay. Well, he's still, got, he's still got some bangs, but I like Altuve too. I've been, I've been making a point to, to get him. And then Patrick Corbin is... Uh, if I get him as my number two starting pitcher, I'm thrilled. If I get him as my number one, I'm fine with it. Uh, I don't think... If you look at what him and Steven Strasburg have done over the last two seasons, in terms of all their rate stats, uh, strikeout per nine, walk per nine, whip, ERA, they're basically identical. And Patrick Corbin has thrown like 70 more innings over the last two seasons. So it just kind of seems uh, silly for Steven Strasburg to be going almost two rounds ahead of him. Let's read your emails of fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. This is from David. Dear Jim, Ryan, and Michael, your Friday the 13th episode game of trying to think of scary name puns for players played out almost exactly like the pilot episode of The Office when Jim, Ryan, and Michael think of dessert puns. Chris, is Jim, was clearly the most enthusiastic about the game and kept ripping off good ones. Scott, who is Ryan, didn't really care that much but still held his own. And Adam, oh, Adam, you were a spot-on Michael Scott Taking a long, <laughs> awkward pause before mumbling, pudding, pudding, pudding. <laughs> I mean that in the best way possible. It was a great show. Thanks for giving me something fun to listen to during my quarantine. If you haven't seen The Office, Scott, I highly recommend at least watching the pilot. Has Scott watched? Scott loves The Office. He's always talking about The Office. That, that was my favorite part of this email. Do you watch? Yeah, I don't love The Office. Yeah, you should. But 
there's no way you could not love The Office. It is so good. I look, people get mad at me for it, but one, I am Jim's the worst. Who, Jim? Jim is no, an awful person. No, you're wrong. <laughs> and two, and I have a theory that every person who thinks they're the Jim of their office, Keith, is actually the Andy of their office. <laughs> um, and also, it's just. It's a really mean show. Everyone's very mean to each other. I don't like it. It makes me feel awkward. I don't like cringe comedy anymore. You probably like the I, British version. That was that like just yeah, ha- I that's the th- like I don't want I don't really like Curb. I don't really like the British office at all. It's just like cringe comedy. It makes me it just it makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I nah I, it's look, it's the first four seasons are really good. The the best well, the, the, be- the best moment. The most cringeworthy moment of The Office was when Michael gets set up on a blind date by Pam with uh, like Pam's landlord or somebody in her building, and they mm-hmm. meet at a coffee shop, and they meet at Starbucks or a coffee shop or something, and Michael sees her, and he's not attracted to her, so he pretends to be someone else. She's like, Michael? And he's like, oh, no, no. And then <laughs> the barista has his order and calls his name. He's like, Michael? Michael? And then the rest of the date is so awkward and the whole time you're just uncomfortable the office makes you so uncomfortable but it, yeah, it's that, great. that's just that uh, like benny hana Crim- christmas yeah just, oh it's just like i feel it in my gut and it's <laughs> but i know i'm gonna get a lot of angry emails and tweets about this people are very defensive of their office it's the, it's one of the best okay so next one is from ryan in st louis dear jack ronald and wendy oh yeah, I know that. What? It's fast food mascots. Yeah, good. Good for you. What you said on Friday about being important now is so right. I hopped on board the FBT train in 2012, and I've listened to email tweeted you guys on the morning of my wedding with questions, literally when, while my wife was in labor. Uh, no matter what's going on in the world, for one hour a day, you guys talk baseball and it helps. So yeah, this is currently what hell must be like. My question is, what is your one Kodak moment over the years? Like, what stands out? Uh, from the podcast? I guess so. Ah, Kodak moment from the podcast. I don't really I don't really have I I read this email. Kodak moment for the podcast? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's so sad to say this, but what comes to mind is doing a live football event and meeting the listeners. Always enjoyed that. And hopefully yeah, I mean, we can the, do that with the, baseball. The biggest thing for me is just it's really interacting with people. And um you know, especially when we get the, I mentioned this, I think on the last episode I was on, but you know, when we get those emails from people talking about, you know, they listen to the podcast in, in difficult times and it helps them get through it. That's the stuff that, um, you know, like we're, we're so unbelievably lucky to get to do this for a job, um, that, you know, it's that it's just interacting with our fans. Yeah. It's awesome. It is really awesome. Did Tom Brady sign yet? No, no, not yet. Okay. Sean from Birmingham. 12-team head-to-head points league. Didn't realize it was a daily league until after the draft. There are, oops, there are five starting pitcher spots and three relief pitcher spots. I loaded up on SPRP guys. I have Carrasco, Lazardo, Arias, Hauser, and Josh James, but I don't have any closers and only Joe Jimenez is on waivers. With it being daily and not weekly, I feel as though the Sparps are not as important since you can't just use them in SP spots, when, since you can just use them 
in SB spots when you want, and all you're really doing is losing out on closer points. There's a 12 SP start max, but that would be hard to hit with just the SP, so you could use the RP and the RP spots to get the advantage with closers. Should I just roll with it, or should I try to get some closers? If I get closers, who should I trade or drop? I think it's really hard to uh, to try to shift that midstream because closers are going to be really expensive. Uh, you know, maybe you try to add Joe Jimenez. Maybe you you should be more aggressive. No, uh, once the season starts. Trade some pitching for for closers. I mean, trade. I just, I just don't think you're going to get the value you need. Well, why don't you trade Carrasco for Yates? I mean, if you could trade Carrasco for Yates, sure. I'm just not sure you could. Who's the? You're, he's right though. In a daily league, I've never played in a daily points league. You want some closers because yeah, you can just use all those RP eligible SPs in SP spots. But who would you drop? I mean, it would have to be either Hauser or James. And no, yeah. I wouldn't do it for Jimenez. He sucks. Yeah, that's the hard thing is that I like the potential for Hauser and, and James to be must-start guys. And I'm not necessarily sure a lot of those closers are going – the kind of closers you're, you're going to be able to get you know, on waivers or in trade. I would rather go into the season with the guys that I have and – uh you know, see what happens because there's going to be so much closer churn yeah. that you'll be positioned to take advantage of that since other people already have closers who, you know, they might not be willing to drop yet. Next email says, hey, Yo-Yo, Eloy, and Lou Bob. Oh, yeah, Lou Bob. I get it. Oh, Louis Robert. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Moncada, Eloy, and Lou Bob. This is from uh, Matt, by the way, 60 miles west of the best team in Chicago, which is not the Cubs. I'm starting my first year of a 10-team head-to-head categories league. I've never played season long, only DFS, and this league is a 20-category league. Oh, God. Is this crazy? I don't know a lot about season long, but I've never heard of this many categories. What do you think? It's too many, and it's going to be, like, without specifically knowing what the categories are, I think you probably treat it like a points league. Yes. Because you're probably going to have like doubles or total bases and strikeouts and walks and the things that are going to be counted in a points league that aren't in a roto. So I, that would be my suggestion. And with that said, two players come to mind who would be bad in this format. Glaber Torres, based on last year, right? If they change their profile, that's one thing. But Glaber Torres and Max Muncy. Now Muncy walks, so if walks is a category, you know that then he could be good there. OBP is going to be good, but they don't steal bases. Their batting average isn't good. They don't double. They don't triple. They just homer. Muncy homers and walks. So you do have to take a look at so a player sort of like that, and don't even worry about steals. Like if you don't want to focus on steals, don't even worry just about don't it. Don't worry about specialists in it's, this that, form, so, Yeah. Uh, from Chris, Deer, Barr, Cliff, Ledger, and Hembry. Heaths. I took Scott's recommendation to heart. I went all in on starting pitching in my recent 12-team roto draft, and I ended up with these pitchers. DeGrom, Kluber, Bauer, Barrios, Price, Carrasco, who's going to be an RP, Boyd, Keller, Gosman, RP, Scooball, and Whitley. DeGrom, Kluber, Bauer, Barrios, Price, Carrasco, Boyd, Keller, etc. Did I take the strategy too far? 
I don't think so. Uh, it doesn't sound like you, you. It sounds like you invested. Like Carrasco was your number six starting pitcher, right? Really, his number one reliever. But yes, but that probably means he was like the eleventh round pick. That's heavier than I usually go at starting pitcher, but it doesn't seem uh, outrageous to me. Actually, I think your bench kind of stinks. If <laughs> if you don't have Carrasco as an as an SP. People were split on Matt Boyd, so I'm not a big Boyd fan, but he does get a lot of strikeouts. And you buy in. What's that? The, I'm starting to buy in. The changeup and curveball looked really good in spring training. Okay. So then that's all you need. I mean, if you have a sixth pitcher, you, you'll play the waiver wire. But Keller, Gosman, I'm not sure what you're going to get from them. Maybe. You never know. You, you, it's fine. You'll, you'll, those are interchangeable parts. You'll find something there. DeGrom, Kluber, Bauer, Barrios, Price, Carrasco, Boyd. It's a very good pitching staff. You did not take it too far. Because it sounds like uh, you might have only taken one pitcher with your first four picks based on this. Kluber, his number two pitcher. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We will uh, come back tomorrow with another edition. The best and worst ADP for the next few rounds. See how many we can get to. And more of your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. For Chris and Scott, I'm Adam. See ya. See ya.